Hello and welcome to Raise Your Average. I'm Pierre Daly, Managing Editor of AdvisoryAnalyst.com. My co-host is Rodrigo Gordillo, Principal at Resolve Asset Management Global. Our very special guests on this episode are Richard Heft and Andrew Broadhead of EXT Marketing. Richard Heft is the co-founder and president of EXT Marketing, and Andrew Broadhead is EXT's head of content. They're also co-authors of the new bestseller, The Ascendant Advisor. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of AdvisorAnalyst.com or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice. Richard, Andrew, welcome to the show. It's really great to have you. Thank you for having us. Really excited about this conversation, guys. Uh, to kick things off, uh, tell us the story of your careers, how you got into the financial marketing business, and what you're doing these days at EXT Marketing. Yeah, so I got into the business about 25 some odd years ago. It seems it seems like maybe 100 or so years ago, uh, given the the amount of uh, evolution and permeations and changes that have gone on uh, throughout the industry over the past uh, two and a half decades. Um, I was at TD Asset Management, had the, I, I was doing some writing on the side um, and had the opportunity to move into marketing there and career has just evolved since that time. About 12 or 13 years ago, I co-founded uh, Extension Marketing with my business partner, Jillian Bannister. First and most important hires was Andrew Broadhead. Very, it was a you know, very exciting time for our firm because a lot of the larger asset managers were coming to us for help, you know, assistance in marketing. Uh, and we quickly and get tremendous opportunities to support these large asset managers who we have felt prior to the company were limited in the types of uh, marketing firms that they can outsource to that had a, a, a knowledge of the industry, the thought as of the distribution channels, uh, the different types of investors and clients that advisors might have out there. So, and what happened was, and look, I'll give Andrew an opportunity to answer as well, but what happened was had Andrew and I had seen the of the advisor business whereby a number of new challenges kept popping up, whether it was technology, decompression, regu you know, the regulatory environment. Um, and we felt that their, their, their was getting more and more challenging. Then COVID hit and, you know, compounded those challenges where they couldn't even sit across the table from their coins comfortably. We don't be back to, you know, doing that hand to hand business development and relationship management. So we thought, well, this is the perfect time for a book that really addresses the challenges that an advisor might have today, whereby communicating out to their clients has become so much more important than it used to be to just talk about themselves and their businesses and the services they could provide the clients and the value they could offer. I've been in the Fizz for about 15 years. I kind of like to see that Invesco Canada and uh, in the marketing department there. Starting off as a junior writer, just worked my way up. I uh, met my wife there as well. Yeah. We decided to quit around the same time. Then we went to South America on a fun vacation for half a year. Then, then when I came back, 
I needed a job. And uh, quickly, as we ran, I ran out of money. And then um, <laughs> we, uh, I called up Rich and he said, no, he didn't want to hire me. It wasn't a very good job. I shouldn't do it. Basically, I should get out of the industry. <laughs> wasn't that bad. But and then uh, I said, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to work for Richard. And then he called me back five minutes later and offered me a job. And so I started working at EXT all, all the way back then. Yeah, it's been, I think, over 10 years now since I've been there. And yeah, we just built out, helped, I helped build out the business and I helped do a EXT's content marketing initiatives themselves. So both how they help, you know, get their message out in the industry. And for the Senate advisor, yeah, just to echo Rich, we felt like this was a great opportunity to help a lot of people quickly. You know, the advisor to this, I think, is, you know, going under some pretty massive change right now. Maybe things are a little bit slower in Canada than they are other places. We'll see how that pans out over the next couple of years. And the way we wrote the book was just to fill it full with tons tons of hopeful information. None of it's that complicated anymore. It's all just designed to be livable. You find a page in there, see if the idea works for you. If it doesn't, you can put pages ahead or sort of the beginning. And one thing that we do know, though, is we used all of these ideas before and they've been refined. We didn't just brainstorm some ideas and put them into the book. Everything in here has been tested and proven. And so we know that the book if an advisor reads it and people that the changes and the ideas and the insights, it's going to help them down the road, grow their business and build relationships with clients and boss life. So Richard, just out of curiosity, 10 years ago, when Andrew came up to you and said, you wanted a job and you said, it's too hard. Um, I have my own opinions on communicating in this industry. I'm curious to know what was hard about writing in this particular space. Well, we had a couple of key differentiators, you know, with Chile and Illinois, ideated extension marketing. We, we were trying to find key differentiators from the other. There were a couple of other financial services provide marketing providers out there. We didn't want to be all things to all people. We really wanted to focus our message and add our service offering. One of the key differentiator differentiators we, we developed was portfolio manager commentaries. Uh, they were every, the regulatory changes that were happening at the time, MRP documentation was supposed to sort of supplement the uh, prospectus, uh, prospectuses that were being published once a year. So these will buy in, buy in twice a year. Uh, and they required commentary and portfolio managers rarely had the time. You know, they're, they're paid to manage people's money, research, make investment decisions, trade, do all those things that portfolio managers do. Uh, they're not, you know, they like writing, but they're not, they, they generally don't have that much time every quarter uh, or semi-annual or annual period to write a commentary. So we decided to take those headings off all these asset managers' hands and put them on our own because nobody on the asset management side or the manufacturer side, they didn't know if it was a marketing responsibility, a compliance responsibility, a legal responsibility, a product responsibility, or some other area that would be responsible for these things. We said we would take the responsibility for, for these documents and, you know, we were, 
very pleasantly surprised when we went out and told people we would do that for them, that they actually said yes. And, and this would include some very large banks early on when it was just Jillian and myself. So we were working 24 hours a day at quarter end to publish uh, these, these, these commentaries. And I, I just thought it was fair to Andrew warn him that coming to EXT was going to mean a large volume of work very quickly. And we were growing even beyond our, our, our most aggressive projections. And so I didn't, you know, I said, you're coming back from Lima, Peru, after having this Zen-like experience, and we're going to throw you into the fire. I, I didn't think it was fair. And then it was like, if I don't bring them in, I'm damned. <laughs> right, right. It took you five yeah. minutes to figure that out. <laughs> Wait a minute. I sort of said to myself, and then I thought, you know, he's, he, he, I've heard great things about Andrew. I, I know he can build a comms team around, around his skills. And that was, like I said, about 12 years ago. And Andrew and I have been through um, the fire together many, many months and quarters and semi-annual and annual periods. We also offer all the other more traditional marketing services, websites, microsites, thought leadership, white papers, belongs, those types of things. And that, uh, and Andrew is just great at all, you know, everything. And, and we, Joanne and I have, have like loved working with him. So it took me, it took me five minutes to decide that I was going to curse him with 12 years of working with me. And, uh, you know, I've never regretted that decision. It's been, it's been a great relationship and Jillian and I value him and, you know, all the other members of the team who we have, who we've brought in since that time. And I was able to help bring that four hours down the toy too. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, the stacking of work at quarter end yeah. must be absolutely brutal. Like we, we, we know how difficult it is. We have, I think like 17 different mandates and month, quarter end, year end ends up being a massive amount of work. So, um, there's no spreading that work out either, right? Cause you're getting, you're getting P and L, you're getting attribution analysis, you're getting, you know, all the commentary you need for that. That is correct. And, you know, automated, automated providers, algorithms can write some of that stuff now, but we've done a lot of research on offering a sort of hybrid solution where we get the algorithms, uh, the robo writers. Uh, natural language generators to generate some of that content. But what we found is nothing, nothing, there's still nothing that replaces the human, the human element because yeah. one of the reasons they, they, the regulators wanted these management reports of fund performance or MRPs was to provide the insights as to why a portfolio manager might have overweighted or underweighted a portfolio in a certain holding sector, geographic region, or what have you. Um, and Algorithms can't come up with those insights for, for especially active managed funds. They, the algorithms can't tell an investor why a portfolio manager made a certain decision, but we can't. Yeah, it's, it's really an under, under, underappreciated art. Said through high dev what hundred percent. So, so you started writing all these commentaries at, at, at the quarter's end. Uh, every quarter, quarter after quarter. Well, what happened after that? I mean, the same companies that you were doing this work for said, well, you can write that. Now you can write these other things too, right? Yeah. Look, look, they're constantly increasing. You know, when we started the company, ETFs were at a very nascent state. So e between ETFs and the regulatory requirements for retail investors dropped around liquid alternative type products, 
private equity, private debt, all real estate, all those types of things. So chronic proliferation has been another challenge. And, and going back to the ascendant advisor, certainly for advisors, a lot of advisors still don't even, they weren't properly um, educated on some of these products that were being launched. They were, they were the last people to sort of learn about them, but their clients were still coming to them and saying, can you just, can you tell me more about this type of liquid oil product or this type of ETF or robo-advisors, these automated portfolios that um, advisors saw as almost a threat where, where they didn't really necessarily have to be because we all know based on those dollar studies that we've all seen, or at least if you've worked in the industry long enough, yeah. you've seen them, um, the value of an advisor's work is there's so many facets to it. We had the client relationship model one and the two launched a couple of years ago in, in a sort of phased rollout. Advisors were, were sort of ill-prepared to describe the, the actual value they were providing clients. They, they, when, when a client said, well, why am I paying you all this money? The advisor was rarely well-situated to say, look, I, I, yes, we only meet a couple of times a year or talk a couple of times a year, but in between, during those intervals in between our meetings, I'm doing all this research. I'm, I'm staying educated, taking continuing education-type courses. All of those types of things, rebalancing your portfolio, ensuring that your portfolio is aligned with your long-term investment objectives and risk tolerance and those types of things, they, they rarely were, were positioned or, or knew to talk about those types of things. So we did a lot of the value advice type work that um, dealerships and asset managers uh, did for these advisors. We helped them um, give, give the language to advisors so that they can better educate their clients. Translating sometimes some very complex ideas into something more digestible. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 um, on the other, on the other late, you know, in terms of the other question of, of the other value, um, um, ad adults we had after doing the quarterly commentaries and the semi semi-annual and annual commentaries, we started doing monthly commentaries. We started doing, we have a Bloomberg terminal and an analyst in-house at EXP. So we started doing daily commentaries for some uh, advisors where the bank raised interest rates by a quarter of a percent. Oftentimes the advisor would be called by a client. They wouldn't even, the advisor wouldn't even be aware that this had happened, but the client might be. So the advisor wasn't prepared to talk to these things because they, they just weren't, they were busy doing their work. Now we're feeding them content on a daily basis so they know what's happening, what the markets are doing, what you know, central banks might be doing, what, what, you know, what new products might be launching. It really gives them a better, better insight to speak more, uh, in a more timely fashion to their clients across one of the, I think it's, so there's been a, sh well, it's going to say, you know, one of the things that I, we do that is different is that we can bridge that gap between the creativity that you need to engage people. And then also the technical language is required in financial portals to take a client be true to uh, the corporate message and then also educate investors, you know, whether they're retail like a grandma or institutional or executive firms, it, it's not easy. And so you have to figure out a way to bring them together. Like if one day we're launching, we're doing a national ad campaign and then two days later, Rich and I have to devote half of our day to commentaries. It's, it's a very unique mindset you have to be in to be able to do that sort of thing. And, uh, it's just what yeah. we're fighting over a fantastic decade plus. Just how to do that effectively. I mean, we have, um, we've written over 250 pieces at Resolve. 
And, you know, anything from long form 40 page white papers to, you know, one page kind of content marketing type pieces. And what we found over the years is that um, we kind of had to keep it internally because it was so difficult to find. You can either find really great writers that know nothing about finance or you have really strong financial knowledge that are not necessarily technical writers and trying to find that juxtaposition, that, inter- that, that intersection ended up being a couple of us from work that already had that ability, but it becomes a very difficult thing to, to source, find and keep. Um, so I, I'm curious as you guys, I don't know how big your team is, but um, you both started in the industry. How do you guys source talent to help you and, and, and hence help advisors continue down that, that path of finance and good writing and storytelling? That's our secret sauce. It's, uh, I, I don't talk about that part of the business that often because I'm, I'm quite territorial, but having worked in the industry prior to founding EXP or co-founding EXP about 13 years ago, I had worked, um, I had run my own company, my own communi- financial services communications firm. Prior to that, I'd worked at Franklin Templeton, um, Scotia Capital, like I said, TD Asset Management, John Hancock Retirement Plan Services. During that time, I had accumulated a long list of, of, of friends and well-wishers uh, who, who were some of the best communicators in the industry. And this, that's on just Canada, and that's global. Um, I just kept in touch with as many writers and editors and graphic designers, web designers and pre-production people uh, as I could so that if or when this company took off and the need arose, I could you know, open my Rolodex and, and call some of these old friends um, and see if they were available and interested in working for EXT. So we have higher, you know, Andrew is one of them. You know, the quality of somebody like Andrew is reflective of the type of communications experts um, we, we, we have at EXT. This, is, this has been a focus of pretty much my last 16 years or so has been to, to um, bring in the best creators possible. You know, just to, I got, I'm going to have a question for you, actually. So you have these, one of the lessons we teach at the book is to reuse your content. And so one of the ideas is to take a white paper, that 40 page white paper, and just see how much you can squeeze out of that. So blog post, social post. So Rodrigo, do you post that and just mail that to search yeah. people or keep it, or do you really try to break it up as much as possible? So we are, we built the business exclusively on content marketing and the first level was very, we only attracted really complex quantitative thinkers that are willing to go through a 40 page white paper. And it was surprisingly large. There were none in Canada, but around the world there was, you know, we grew the list. Uh, we had 13,000 unique visitors a month as we wrote these long form. And then they got smaller and smaller as we started putting, pushing out product in the U.S. and Canada internationally. You ended up realizing that you needed to, to dumb it down or provide, you know, what, what's the, the acronym? Too long, can't read or don't read, whatever it is. TLDR. TLD. Um, yeah. <laughs> so then the idea was then you try to squeeze out as much as you can for that white paper. And the original um, barrier was l- loss of credibility, right? When you have 40 pages, you feel like you can get nuanced. You feel like you can get a unique message that nobody else has talked about. And, and it put us in a position of thought leadership with a unique group. But as you start to bring it down to smaller pieces, the, the challenge was it started sounding like motherhood. 
right? And as we as we've grown into it, we realize that ultimately it ends up being motherhood. But where you can add uniqueness is through storytelling, allegories, myth, right? So there are asset managers out there that are telling, you know, a very simple story, but a brand new uh, element of mythology to what they're doing, giving it a label, and then it goes viral, right? So the uniqueness goes from being technically unique in a large volume document to being um, a unique story that that really is the essence of your brand and who you are, right? So it's just, it requires a completely different skill set. And, and technical writers aren't necessarily good at, at storytelling. And so th- this is the this is the area that we are, uh, we continue to straddle and transition into that, I think. Every asset manager who's got strengths is going to, or advisor who's got strengths is going to have to kind of manage. And, um, and we've had found it hard to find third-party people that can help us identify and, and, um, and build on that. So it's refreshing to know that there are people, veteran people like you guys that are out there doing this stuff. Yeah, and we talk a lot in the book about what Andrew Solis has been sort of alluding to, which is, and, and absolutely, Rodrigo, it, it, it is a matter of creating stronger narratives in the short form, like in a short form, um, you know, the micro content where, where obviously at 40 pages, you could really build a really compelling uh, research piece with lots of third party information, lots of internal information. Um, but it is hard to get the universe to read uh, that, that large document. We've been fighting a lot of the white papers. When we started the company, they were about 40 pages generally. These days are like eight. And most people are pretty satisfied if we can give them a strong eight-page white paper. And then Andrew and I, the book, talk a lot about distilling that white paper down to really key points, strong um, snippets that you can file off on different types of social platforms or other, you know, through other channels like the Twitters or the Facebooks or the LinkedIn's or eBlast or video or infographics. But, but you are correct. Those smaller pieces will be distributed more, more widely uh, and read more easily because they're, they're that much shorter and, and tighter content. You don't get to run the gamut of all the information you are trying to convey. But in, in, do, in getting the hook in through those smaller pieces, the hope is that you could drive traffic back to your website to, to, to in, you know, get people learning more about Resolve, maybe leveraging the larger white, pa- white paper to find other information. So both are really important. We, we respect the 40-page white paper. Um, but we also know that there's other strategies for, for getting it out there more, more, you know, from more readers to leverage. Yeah. You kind of have to come from both, both sides, right? You really have to come from, from, you know, the lay side and the professional side just to sort of sandwich, sandwich the idea. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to, you're not necessarily going to like, you know, if you use the old attention, the old, uh, marketing formula, attention, interest, desire, action. Um, you know, the idea is to get people into your, your realm, right. Into your, 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 your sphere of influence. And then from there, take them on a journey and, and, you know, get them to that 40 page white paper if, if they're interested and maybe they don't even need to, maybe they get to 
you know, step two or step three. And they say, you know what, uh, Rodrigo, maybe we should sit down and talk and you can explain this stuff to me or you can try, but I like the sound of what you're doing and, 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 uh, go from there. But I think, I think like certain terms, certain terminology, certain, you know, jargon can, can either, it can, you know, cause the neurons to light up really nicely in certain people, like your initial audience that you mentioned, where, where, you know, 13,000 uniques, unique visitors were coming to your site to see this paper. Um, on the other side is the people who actually uh, need what you do and need to understand, you know, need to at least know that, that, you know, within what you do, there's what they can actually figure out. And then the rest of it is, you know, <laughs> I keep bringing this up, you know, the, the known knowns and the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, and you don't need to know the unknown unknowns, right? That's, that's, that's where you guys come in, right? Rod, I mean, you, you, you guys can worry about the unknown unknowns and the known unknowns. The client, the investor, really needs to know the known knowns and some of the unknown, the known unknowns, in order to move to step forward into into making a decision or thinking about what you're doing or thinking about what any financial institution is doing. Absolutely, I, I think yeah, and there's so many tools to do this, right? I mean, I was just looking at some of the titles or original titles for papers, you know, mean variance optimization. Uh, using robust <laughs> risk parity analysis to compare blah, 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 versus the latest one, which is <laughs> skis and bikes, the untold story of diversification. And that's bad on skis. <laughs> and everybody skis keeps and not telling us that. It's just, we all begrudgingly wrote that piece because one of uh, somebody internally said that would be a good idea. And it's the most popular, right? So uh, you kind of have to recognize that you have to go outside of your comfort zone and do many many facets of marketing and, and communication. And on that note, guys, your book, um, just a little bit about Wonderful. the many tools that, that you guys have laid out and how advisors should think about using those tools. Yeah, sure. I'll start. Um, so we broke, we broke the book up into sections that would probably be main concerns for advisors. So what would be some websites and other sections on writing tips? Another section section is on social media. And our goal and our belief was that, and you know, we've heard lots of anecdotal evidence now that we did this the right way, is that some advisors are starting from zero. They know they want to start communicating more beyond a monthly newsletter that's mostly templated. And then there's some others that are starting. They've been doing it for maybe six months, eight months, a year, and things may not be going as well as they thought it would. You know, one thing we say to that point is that that's how long it can often take just to get things going. I know we had a similar experience with our content is you're experimenting at the beginning. Um, and so each section is then filled with, there's no specific number, but 10 plus ideas just to help build out. So in the website section, what do you need on a basic website? You want to ramp it up to kind of a website 2.0, what that would require. Um, writing tips are just, you know, pretty basic writing tips that we know work for advisors. Things they need to do to make sure that they can get their writing out. But the overall big section, which is really the impetus of the book that when Richard first started writing it, was this idea of 
breaking up content and stretching it out as long as you can. And the insight there is advisors don't have much time. They don't know if digital marketing or content marketing is really going to pay off for them. And that's fair critique. So they have to take a bit of a leap of faith. So we're hoping that this book really makes that leap a lot easier. Um, not, nothing in the book is expensive. Like all of these ideas that we're sharing can be done for free, if not cheaply. Um, and yeah, they run the gamut. So for example, can, can we, can, can we, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, can, before we get into that, can we talk about, you, you outline in your book, six major new challenges and can we can we talk about some or all of those i mean in terms at least you know in terms of of what advisors are really like it's a lot easier i think i think last year was really a testament to the you know the 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 quote you know it's a lot easier to sustain a relationship than than to get a new one and then to or replace it but i think last year was really a testament to advisors probably spending the better part of last year, making sure they held on to who they were already working with, who their clients were already. And now, now that we've sort of rounded the corner on this pandemic, uh, you know, if in fact that actually is true, um, advisors really have to start focusing on, okay, how do I get, how do I attract new clients? How do I get back in the game? Because I can't, I can't sit face to face. I can't, be in person where, where, you know, I can exude my personality or be, be, you know, be present and, and listening in, in a way that, that face-to-face, -face, you know, person-to-person -person communications allow for. How do I do that when, you know, Zoom and digital media are the only ways to do that? And, and so that's really, you know, it, it, it sort of happened all at a time when it was already becoming those challenges, a lot of the challenges you talk about we're already uh, becoming salient just in the marketplace, given the, the competition from fintechs, given, given the competition from, from a whole slew of other operators in the business, uh, you know, different kinds of, of uh, advisors and different kinds of advisory models. Um, it, the, the, the traditional advisor model, um, you know, I think it's, the most, it's still the most valuable model there is. All these other, you know, a lot of the other traditions, uh, a lot of the other new sort of fintech um, models are based on low costs or, or low fees or low portfolio management, um, you know, rates. And, and, and in terms of, of what advisors uh, are, are hearing about this from their clients or their prospects. And then, you know, now they can't even be face to face to deal with it. You know, and you, you can't just Zoom somebody whenever you feel like it. There has to be a, you know, there has to be a lead up to it. There has to be a process. Somebody has to actually be in your realm, in your funnel, in your sphere of, of influence in order for you to reach out to them. You know, you can't, like, you can't just zoom somebody out of the blue, right? And say, hey, let me, let me talk to you about what we do. It's, it's, uh, that's a very challenging environment, right? I mean, so, so that's, a, that, that, that's, I think maybe I encapsulated a couple of the challenges that you outline in the book, but I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, we. I st we started the book with a, this anecdote from when I was working at John Hancock and I was working on a white paper where at that time, and this is 
literally 16 years before COVID, a, a, a study came out that said something like 79%, and I'm, I, I watched the number in the book as well, but 79% of, of respondents to this study said they preferred the sound of a dentist drill to the to discussing their finances with an advisor. It's something like it's something like that. And that was like the impetus for most of my career and definitely for the book, where since that time, you know, the like like I said earlier, the regulatory environment has gotten more onerous. Decompressions happened with a lot of products. Client relationship model two has made people more aware of the fees they're paying and transparency became a big buzzword. Product proliferation, uh, technology and all these, all, you know, all these, not just products, but these channels where you can buy lower fee products and, and without having to listen to the sound of your advisor's voice. So then COVID hits and like you said here, you can't sit across the table from coins and prospects to, to tell them about your value. So we felt the book was really timely in that for advisors, communication through different, through different channels and different means is the most important thing. Every advisor used to print 8,000 business cards a year because they were meeting and meeting. And this is how they were telling their story. I can't remember the last time I had to print the business card for myself or anybody in EXT. Our business card is our website. Our business card is our, 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 our um, LinkedIn profile and photo and, and what we say about our experience of what we're bringing, what type of value we're, we're offering the client. So all of these things became their importance, compounded and compounded. Um, but also there were, there were platforms that made it so much easier and better for advisors to communicate out to their clients. And not just about their products and services, because that's not an engagement strategy. Yeah, I sell mutual funds or ETFs or insurance products. That's not a real engagement strategy. An engagement strategy is educating people, right. showing them the type of value you can, you can provide to their lives through this content. So if, if Rod's company is, is, is writing a 40-page white paper, this is going to be educational. This is going to offer a lot of research and a lot of enhancements to people's lives. Plus, our strategies are also to take that 40-page white paper and break it off into 800 blog articles with really key points because if somebody isn't going to do the deep dive, maybe they'll publish a blog. Maybe they'll publish a LinkedIn post. Maybe they'll publish a Twitter post. All of them driving traffic back to, to the Resolve website with more information, more educational tools, all of those types of things, that is, that is the customer engagement. That is what will create um, a better educated client and a, better, and a stronger relationship with the advisor. So it was all those types of tips like Andrew was alluding to earlier. We didn't start with really sophisticated strategies that were going to cost a lot of money and take a lot of time to learn at some new platform like, you know, HubSpot or, or, or one of those larger platforms. It's really, here is how you can write some blogs and how do you do, why do you do it? How often do you publish? When do you publish? What type of commitment is required? Because we get asked those kind of questions every day by advisors. You know, I want to start a blog. How do I do it? Well, are you willing to commit? four hours a week to, to writing a blog? What, do you have a bunch of ideas? Do you know who you're targeting? All, uh, all these types of questions, they start to, you know, an advisor will go, 
No, I, I didn't. Now I don't want to start a blog. So, well, there, there is an opportunity here, but you just have to know what you're getting into and commit to it. And, have, and know what you're going to share with your clients to really ensure that they come back every week or every two weeks to, to read what you're writing about. That's by adding value to their lives and educating them. So that was, but the impetus was those challenges, but we don't want to just focus on the challenges. There's unlimited opportunity for advisors these days with these types of platforms. I, as Andrew will tell you, I am the biggest advocate of, of LinkedIn. To me, that's where people want to do business. That's where they want to learn. The content is, you know, it's, it's not just content about people's vacations. It's actually content about business that will enhance people's lives. If I was an advisor, I'd be spending 23 and a half hours a day on LinkedIn. I would, I would be going out with good content. I'd be reaching out to people in my community. You geo-target if you set up a premium account, which is like $70 a month. It's the best investment of time and money that you can, to me, that you can, you can uh, make it your, yeah, you know, yeah, fully, yeah, fully, very good. Yeah, yeah very I was going to say, you know, we believe that advisors are like in a position of strength. They've got names, numbers, long-term relationships. We think they've been doing pretty amazing jobs. This is what you're saying here. They made it through a pretty hellish time. It's definitely unprecedented. I hate using that word. And, but they, <laughs> It's really about two things. So it's some of those really good clients. Some people are not going to be meeting you in person again. I, I've spoken with some older people and they're just very nervous and paranoid. And they're not going to have advisors in their house. They're not going to go to an office. So and the other thing, though, is thinking long term. One of the ideas we really want to get through with this book is that if you want your business to be valuable, with your thinking and succession planning, you want to sell your book for a lot of money, you're going to have to have more than 76-year-old uh, place. You're going to have to have younger people. You're going to have to start talking. And one of the best ways to get that is to talk with your clients' kids. So figure out ways to do that. And also using social platforms. You know, So LinkedIn is great across all age groups. And then if you want to branch off into other ones, there's limitations on what you can and can't do, but it doesn't hurt to start reinforcing your business now, trying to bring in a younger clientele, trying to build family relationships across families. You know, even if the kids don't have much money right now, you know, they're two inheritances away from getting it. And, you know, it can happen pretty quickly. If they, uh, yeah. And it's a, that's really what you want. Like you're going to be an equity level event and you can sell your business and make a ton of money, build it the right way. And, uh, it sounds, you know, you can actually do that through communicating on digital channels and you can really reach a lot of people. You can make a huge difference. You know, one of the things I was thinking about what Rich was saying about 23 hours a day, I think that's actually, I would probably do something similar. Like, the, the power of a social network where, you know, somebody can like your post and then somebody who doesn't follow you, doesn't even know who you are, or what you're about, will see that post in their feed and click on it. If you can't, how much about, how valuable is that? You know, it's just the cost of, yeah. some, of your own personal data to sign up to a LinkedIn account, but it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. What's surprising about it? I just, I just say that what's surprising about the social media side of things is that the older age cohort is actually quite the big user of Facebook 
mainly, right? And so- 100%. I mean, one of the greatest gifts, I think the, uh, the whole COVID thing has given all of us is that now more people of all age groups are going and participating in their social lives online, including 70 and 80 year olds. Um, and then the younger crowd all now have cameras, all generally have microphones, and you can have your one-on-one -on -one meetings on, on camera. Or what we do is we do live sessions every Friday at 4 p.m., right? So people can join our discussions and actually ask questions and, and, and the like, right? So it's, it's, you want to introduce younger people, that's how you do it. And you have a team. We have a younger uh, individual portfolio manager that nobody had ever met. He just came in and exchanged his ideas with us online. And then our client base started getting to know him and realizing, oh, I actually re relate more to him than to you, Rodrigo. Get out. I want this guy to talk to me, right? Because a lot of it has to do with values alignment, right? You don't necessarily, as you get older or the children come in, they're not going to necessarily align with the values of an advisor that your father aligned with. So I think it's a gift um, that we've gotten. And as you said, I'm sure you guys delineated in the book, but the access to these platforms at a low cost is absolutely um, key to all of this and supersizing your book. And I, I, absolutely. And the trick is often the type of content you share as well. The older cohort is on Facebook in record numbers, uh, is engaging with others on Facebook. It's just the type of content varies between the LinkedIn's that might be your sensors of influence or your more professional type clients versus the more casual type of content, lifestyle type of content, which is all valuable for humanizing yourself as an advisor uh, or industry participant. That, that is absolutely beneficial. And we give some tips in terms of like, you know, bathing suit shots for your, for your clients and prospects on Facebook are isn't always the most valuable way to engage with clients and prospects, but definitely can like community involvement. That is a great way. And that's what people do tend to share on Facebook. Um, and people want to know what you're doing outside of office hours. And that's where they go for that type of information. And, and that can be as important in terms of relationship building as, as offering financial advice or guidance or tips or, or trains or any of that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, we, we see it, social media as, as massive. And we also, in the book, talk about centers of influence because those still matter too. And when you're creating a lot of content, there are strategies for using your centers of influence and allowing them to use you to create content that may be outside of your wheelhouse, uh, bring in somebody's expertise or advice, or you bring in a lawyer to talk about some of their legal and your client's potential legal challenges. That continues to educate them, can create some very strong relationships with your centers of influence. They may use some of your content on their platforms, and it becomes a very virtuous circle of, of business development and relationship management. So what's the biggest pushback do you guys get from advisors when presented with this option? Again, there, it's a big commitment. Well, I will tell an advisor that you have to be ready to publish every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., right? For example. Yeah. And they'll say, well, can I do it every two weeks or every once a month? And I say, you can do whatever you want. It's your, it's, it's your blog or your uh, LinkedIn presence. Um, but we generally say that you have to be very consistent and it doesn't have to be five times a week, but it should be at least once a week. 
to create that type of engagement. And so people know that after two weeks or three weeks or a month, people may forget about the blog altogether or may just not get into the habit of checking it out. So we say at least once a week and try to do it at the same time, same day. Uh, so the people go, oh, I, I should check back. Or, oh, I didn't see that today. Maybe I'll go on to his or her website just to, just to check with their writing if the content is valuable enough. Um, so the pushback is usually, I, I don't have the time to commit to all that, so I don't want to do it as much um, as, as you're telling me that I should do it to create this type of engagement. And we say, if you're not willing to commit, don't, don't bother starting a blog you know, create some other content and strategy that may be more your wheelhouse or use a firm like EXT uh, to, to help you create that content. And then the pushback will be, well, I don't have that kind of money. So usually we'll end up working more closely with uh, the advisor's dealership um, so that, so, you know, we create content for more advisors. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. So we, so that was my next question. Sorry, yeah, yeah, finish up. Well, just, finish up. just to build on what Richard's saying, though, is that so one of the things, you know, it's like completely legitimate pushback, too. Like, I don't have enough time. So one of the things we do for the content creation side in this book is we have pages and pages of brief, like, how to brainstorm better. Bring in the whole team, bring in people you might not think would be great at that. Like, the best ideas come from the strangest voice into the south over the years. Um, you know, somebody with the most analytical mind, if you put them in a fun brainstorming session, they might say something goofy and you're like, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> and then get those ideas into an editorial calendar. So there's a sample Excel spreadsheet, you know, these little things that you can do just to make it easy. You know, in, in an hour, half an hour brainstorm over one, once a month, we could easily come up with a month content. Easy. And, uh, and by setting up the systems behind the seals to get that copy written, uh, I think we can really help them find the time. No, when it comes to money, you know, they'll this eventually, if we want to scale up, we might have to put some investment into it, like all good things. And it's going to be done. We can get you to the point where we can cut that significant amount of time to generate that time. And ultimately, it's all work. Yeah, right. It's all work. It, when the way people used to and continue to build their advisor platforms from client bases to cold call, or if you already have a client base, you are asking for referrals and then cold calling or warm calling and then following up with those calls. That requires a level of calendar scheduling, a a commitment to doing the same thing every single day, and building out that that client base. This is the same idea just completely out of their wheelhouse, right? And sadly, it is survival of the fittest right now where if you're not migrating even as, uh, just a little bit of your business to that area, then you are going to be left behind. Your growth is just not going to be there, in my opinion, right? So I, I think that that's, it's just a matter of, you know, committing. For me, I think the answer has always been you have to commit to a schedule and do it for a year. That's it. That's the magic. Totally. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, you're totally correct. I mean, the um, the commitment is massive. And I, to me, it's also, we get, the pushback we often get is, well, I've been doing, I, I published two blog articles like, like, like last month and I didn't get any calls. Like it's not, it's not translating directly business. And we often... The commitment 
is the key here. We tell them that this isn't a one day thing. You don't publish an article and all of a sudden your AEs, your AUM grow rapidly. It is a long-term engagement that, that requires that type of sustainable, this is what I'm an expert in. We talk in the book about, let's say, education planning. That became sort of a you know, storyline throughout the book where you're, you're helping your employees work with their children to better educate them in their education planning, which helps them create better financial decisions longer term and be better educated about their financial decisions. And also it engages the coins, kids like Andrew sort of alluded to earlier, um, so that they they know your name as an advisor. You're not just my parents' advisor. You're somebody who has engaged with them, who they've watched, who they've watched their education uh, savings grow with. And then hopefully as they start to earn, they look you for, for support uh, in their financial planning process as well. So that type of commitment is long-term. That's not... You know, when we talk about the value of an advisor's book, like Andrew said earlier, it's, it's, it's about this long-term, it's about long-term engagements and commitments to these clients and their kids and their spouses. And that doesn't happen in their week. The content isn't going to be, um, isn't going to result in this large uptick in calls next week. There, it, it's really, did you, you can go out and sort of say, did you, re- did you hear that article? But we, Andrew and I published articles 12 years ago that nobody liked, nobody in terms of like click like on LinkedIn or Facebook or, or nobody reached out to me and said, oh, I thought that article was awesome. But I could tell you 12 years later, I'll be, I'll be at dinner parties and somebody will, will reference one of the articles that Andrew or I wrote 12 years ago and say, oh, we, I know you were talking about that. You, you, it, there isn't the, it, it, it can't feel like a bit of an echo chamber when you're creating this type of content. It does not feel like an engagement. It feels like you're flattering still valid and you're getting no feedback. And, and, and that could be discouraging and you could be going, either I've committed all this time or I've committed all this money. It wasn't worth it. And it is, it is worth it because longer term people start to go like somebody may be at a dinner party and go, Oh, I, I might, I'm, I'm thinking of setting up an RESP or a TFSA or a 401k. What, what do I, you know, a, five, a 529? And, and, and somebody will say, oh, I know a person to help you set that up. I know a person, I, I just read this good article on that. And that's when you start to see the, the, the fruits of your labor, the benefits of all that work. You become that subject matter expert that you've always wanted to be. Um, if you're consistent, if you're, if you, publish good, educational, uh, actionable stuff, impale But it's, I think, I think there's... Never committed to take possible week. There's three things I see when it comes to writing content, right? And let's say you're writing 52 pieces of, uh, of content every year. I've seen it with our work where I write a piece that I think is absolutely goddamn brilliant. And I know it's going to go viral. And nobody cares. And then, you know, the cat with his skis and his bikes gets published with disdain and it goes viral, right? But I actually have no, it's not like that one's better than the other. It, it truly is random what gets picked up. And if you got to think about it like a portfolio of small cap stocks or a VC firm where the returns that they make off of those funds are not because every single stock that they picked, company that they picked did really, really well. It's because most of them bombed. And two or three of them were 100x, 100 baggers, right? 
And, and so I think the first thing is that if you are consistent enough and you will get better at writing over time, you just, it's inevitable, right? Especially with the help that you guys are providing the book or, or maybe help from the company, you're going to get better at it and it, it, you'll, you'll get more bang for your buck. The second, so that's just that you never know what's going to hit. So you might as well be consistent. The second thing is you can use that to become a subject matter expert. So as things go on, people are Googling, hey, what happens when there is a cross-border U.S.-Canada investor? And you've written about that and you got, uh, you got a top hit on Google. They will interview you and you will become part of the zeitgeist. You'll become part of that, um, that uh, media circus. And then the last thing is when you are doing your cold calls or you're getting those referrals and, cli- and new prospective clients say, what do you think about this topic? You can say, actually, I wrote about that in 2006. Let me send you the article. It's a four piece. And, and it just adds to your gravitas. And it, it, in whatever way you cut it, there's value in the, the whole chain of client relation. So I, I this, is, this is part of the consistency. Speaking of, so, so Rod, mm-hmm. Rod, what, from, the time, from the time that you guys, that you, Mike and Adam decided we're gonna build our business from, from the sphere of content, from the time you started doing that in earnest and you got to sort of a level state of content production, whether it was editorial, eventually, you know, podcasts and eventually video, how long did it take from the very beginning for you to get, for, for that to yield its first client, your first client? Yeah, so, so I remember it very clearly because we were very much in the belly-to-belly sales process in the beginning. And when we decided to do the shift, I was terrified, but it required all of our energy to be on the content marketing. And I wasn't quite convinced, but I remember the first uh, individual out of Barbados calls in and said, read your, read your white paper, I got $10 million to give you guys. And he did. And he became a client for life, right? And, and then, you know, two weeks of the dry spell and the next one came in and so on and so forth, right? And then you use your skills that you've developed, developed over the years of communicating belly to belly to manage those relationships and getting them across the line. So it, it just, it did take six months to a year, probably more closer to six months, but it doesn't always, it doesn't, it's not always like that, right? And you're not going to get, we thought it was going to be triage at some point. It never became triage. Right. You always need to, it's, it's hard, it's difficult, but it is a lot more engaging, entertaining and the clients that you get, you get to keep because you have all this content to draw on. Right. So you have a lot more loyal clients that understand you better that understand your value system. We don't, we don't take clients in that haven't scored a certain amount in terms of content, uh, readership. They have to score above 80 points before we even engage. And then we go in. Otherwise anything below that either doesn't get the sale or they don't become clients long-term because they didn't quite align with your values. So I, I strongly encourage content to create a stronger client base that is truly aligned with what you believe in. Otherwise they're just chasing performance, right? Um, so, so can I just pivot a little bit? Cause one of the key things I get pushed back on when I tell us to advisors is you're out of your mind. Compliance will never allow me to do this consistently. I'm sure you guys get some, some, uh, feedback on that. How do you, yeah. how do, how are advisors going to navigate the compliance world and their, um, broker dealer? It's, it's always a challenge. We, we, we get told that as well, that the compliance will put the brakes on. We, we've done a ton of initiative. Um, some of the larger banks where compliance have shut down any opportunity to create new content or even 
share ex- uh, content that the advisor had written because they're just trying to maintain controls around messaging, nothing premier and that type of thing. An advisor is wise to read up on what their compliance uh, guidelines might be within that firm, within their dealership or firm. Um, it is super important because they're just wasting everybody's time if uh, there's just going to be red marks across the document that they're writing. Generally speaks, can we say, at least the beginning, try to keep the content fairly generic. And that's not to say not, not good or useful, but you also don't have to talk a lot about the markets. You don't have to talk a lot about what you think is going to go up or down, uh, what you suggest they buy or sell, make recommendations, those types of things. Because that will raise red flags for compliance uh, departments. You want to talk about things that are maybe more generic in nature, um, but that are still highly educational. Like I said, like education planning, the benefits of a 529 in the U.S. or an RESP in Canada. Compliance generally isn't going to have that much to say because you're not making recommendations. You're talking about diversification and long-term investing and some of the more core investment-type concepts that compliance can't push back on. These are, these are you know, diversification is a concept that is, is, is proven as a, as, as a more successful approach to investing, long-term investing as opposed to short-term trading in and out. These types of things. So you talk about larger concepts, more generic concepts that, that clients really need to know about, um, and stay away from the you know the stuff that could could trip and trip you up when it comes to the compliance reviews. Um, and then, but but loop compliance in create. We talk about it in the book create a work back schedule. The the worst thing you could do to a compliance person is say I need this by this afternoon, right? That that's going to really piss them off. If you say, look, I'm publishing a weekly piece, I'm going to keep it to a certain work count. So it's not going to be super onerous when you're reviewing it. I'm not gonna, it's not going to be 40 pages every week. It's going to be 300 words of strong stuff. I'll get it to you by Tuesday afternoon. Could you, do you think you can get it to me by Thursday afternoon? And you work that into your work back schedule so that you're giving them enough time. You're giving yourself enough time to do any of the updates. And you, 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 you learn to worry, you say, by the way, I'm going to keep a style guide that says what the type of wording you like and the type of wording you don't like. So that when you push back, you're not going to see the same issues or concerns every article. I'm going to keep it to stuff that you can, you're going to see once. If you push back, I'll never include that type of statement. Or can we have it to like, can we discuss it and negotiate what I can do? So there's, there's ways we've worked with. Every compliance person probably in the world at this point, we know what really irritates them generally and what doesn't. And we, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be super conflictual. Like they, you can create a relationship where they trust and you won't put them under undue time pressure and you won't making the same sort of wording mistakes or issues. They have to, they have to strike out, meaning that it's more time for each of yeah, dude, it's, this is oh, maybe a little bit of talk more controversial of a point, but you know, I think sometimes a squeaky wheel like it creates stay. We anecdotally know of a couple of advisors who pushed back a little bit, and one of them at least got basically was able to do whatever they want. So they, they're, I agree. depending on 
decided your book is probably what the biggest thing is. But I, I disagree with that. You don't think that's so, so let me no no just to finish no, my thought it's, though, it's, like, oh, I, oh, I, yeah. Yeah. oh sorry, I'll just yeah. say yeah, if you if you if you do, if you push back, maybe not even I don't mean like quite wide, because I think building a strong relationship, like Richard said, is clearly one of the most important things you can do in this situation. You're gonna be able to expand over time what you're gonna be able to produce. And then broader speak, what was been able we were able to do five years ago compared to today? Like we know what's gonna be possible five years. Content is gonna yeah. be more powerful in the opinion maybe than compliance yeah. would be. And I think uh, the point is that it's difficult to navigate compliance. I was 26 when I started as an advisor and I went up to the, to the firm. They laughed at me at first, but I had a, a clear business plan of what I wanted to do, how I wanted to be interviewed, that I wanted to take media training. I was going to do this type of writing and I created content for them to pre-approve six months ahead so that I could just, you know, publish it on a schedule without having the issue of like, I need this published now. And that content was not buy Amazon and sell Apple. It was diversification, proper portfolio construction, you know, how to think about retirement, uh, sequence of returns, risk and all that. But you can create evergreen pieces that you can get pre-approved way in advance and work with the team to do it. But if you have a solid business plan, and, and you, there's just so many requests from, for management and compliance in a, in a, a wirehouse or what do they call them in Canada, um, uh, broker dealers, that it requires that most people just say, I want to do this. And then they drop it and compliance and management spend a ton of time for somebody that wasn't serious. If you are serious and you can show a business plan and you can say, this is what my schedule is going to look like. And it's going to be better for the firm. It's going to be better for me. And I am a good personality to represent the firm then you have a much better shot. And I, I've coached a few advi young advisors, very, very young advisors that are doing this. One of my favorite is uh, Shiraz Ahmed of um, Raymond James, who doesn't waste any time. He gets into his car in the morning, puts his camera on while he's driving. He's talking about a topic that's evergreen and not giving advice. Hit send, sends it to compliance. Two days later, it's on. And that's how he gets his content and it's working beautifully for him, right? So it's hard. It's hard to negotiate. It's hard to create a business plan. It's hard to be consistent, but nothing in life worth having is easy. All right. This is, this is exactly what you need to do in order to be able to push your content forward. In my opinion, anyway. In the old world, you know, advisors had no problem putting in all that extra time, let's say at dinner parties and putting it in and golf courses. And get yeah. up. If anything, the, yeah. you know, it's, you're right. You mentioned it earlier. It is the same commitment. It's just in a completely different wheelhouse. So redirection of your you know, of your expenses, like how you spend your money and how you spend your time. It, it, it's, you know, those, those, I think those old, I think those old school ways, maybe they'll, maybe they'll make a comeback at some point, but you know, it, it really for, for the time being, those, those days are, are over. Maybe you can hit the golf course still because it's out in the, you know, wide open, but it, uh, it you know, getting to that, <laughs> getting there's, you know, a whole other ball game, right? Getting to the place where, where people will agree to come out and meet up and do that. You can do that with your friends, but for, you know, as you've mentioned earlier, you know, people are, are, are a little more paranoid about doing things like that now. And, and so, you know, good luck, but in terms of, of establishing a presence online and, and, 
I love, uh, you know, I, I love this conversation because I think there's, there's so much that's not being done and so much that's perceived as being so difficult to do and, or, or expensive. Um, above all, I think, I think writing is, you know, as I said, at the very beginning, it's, it's definitely an underappreciated art and an under underappreciated skill. Most people will, will get to, you know, put their pen on paper and then they'll stop where they'll, they'll start typing and they'll stop because they don't know, they don't know how to carry a paragraph or an essay on something. And, and maybe they're overthinking it. Maybe they should just, you know, write the piece, keep it simple, keep it out of, you know, keep it out of compliance as bailiwick in terms of, 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 uh, you know, vetting recommendations and, and returns, that sort of thing. And, and, and make it personal and be more personable so that when, when someone says, oh, you should talk to my guy, then when they look you up on Google, they find all this, this treasure of information about you and they feel like they know you before they've even met you. I, I feel like I knew, I feel, Andrew, I felt like I already knew you because number one, I've seen the video that we, you know, I've seen the video interview that you did with Joseph, uh, I don't know how many times now, but I also watched it live as it was happening. Right. So, so, so you're very familiar to me, but that, that to me, that effect is the same thing as people watching and say, Oh, I'm going to, you know, maybe I should talk to this guy, you know, and, and feeling comfortable with somebody or getting a sense of somebody's demeanor and their energy and their, their, their personality and, and their thoughts. That's so important right now. And, you know, I, I think that's what we're trying to achieve with this show as well, which is to sort of get through on, on many different levels with many different, you know, viewers, but it's the same thing. I, but that's my, that's one of my, uh, examples is, is, you know, that we haven't met, I, we had already met with Richard, but, um, <laughs> so, you know, that, that to me is a great example. I feel like, like I already have a sense of who you are and what you, how you think and your personality, your humor. Those are the kinds of things that should be focused on, you know, you could also focus on really like, like if advisors are really wondering, like, what should I write about or what should I talk about? How about the questions your clients are asking you every day of the week? Not necessarily, you know, do you like Apple over Google, but you know, what do you think about this tax thing? Or what do you think about this new, this new uh, thing that's happening, this new legislation or what, you know, and people want to know those things and you could write half a page. You don't have to write a 40 page white paper on, on, on new rules that are coming, or you, you can just write a quick comment and publish it on WordPress. Word, like WordPress is free. <laughs> it's assuming, assuming you don't get any help, you know, with it, but like, you know, things like that are, are, I can't, I, I was, I could, I remember when I first discovered WordPress, I just, I fell out of my chair. I couldn't believe something so dynamic and so easy to use, easy as Microsoft Word to use was, was there and available. And I could create all the web pages we wanted to create every day of the week. We, um, we actually talk a lot about that, you know, some of the things you've just mentioned, uh, Pierre, like, you know, w when it comes to writer's block, there's a ton of strategies to avoid coming to, into your office on a Monday morning and thinking, oh, I, I have to come up with an idea. Uh, we do give some tips on that as well in the book, just, just to simplify ideas for brainstorming. Like I said earlier, 
center, use leveraging your center, centers of influence for content, but also leveraging your team to brainstorm ideas, writing them down, creating an editorial calendar. So you know what you're going to be writing about um, months in advance and can start even jotting down ideas in the, in the uh, interval between brainstorming the idea and, and writing it down. So you can, and then I moving on to the next topic, if you're, if you're having writers block about that topic, there's the, the, because when it comes to an editorial calendar, you're the only person who knows what's on the calendar, yeah. your clients aren't sitting there waiting and waiting, unless you're doing sort of a series of articles that are all linked to one another. In which case you could still skip one and come back to it. And, and frankly, that can help create engagement. And then of course the work back schedule and Rodrigo, I was also going to say in terms of the articles, like, you, you know, it's, that's a funny anecdote where you write these incredibly researched and well-written and involved white papers. And then one about bicycles and skiing gets 10 times the readership. And that really speaks to some of the other tips that we tend to speak to, which is great headers create you know yeah. use, even if even if it's a deep dive research document you can still be a bit more creative on the headers you can use imagery i cannot tell you and i've discussed this with andrew a hundred times like i'll write a great article for, or publish something great on linkedin and then i'll post a photo of a member of our team just to celebrate you know uh, an anniversary or something photos images are always the ones that get a hundred times more views. So, so those types of little things can help up your, your, your metric, uh, metrics and such. So there's all a hundred little tips to, to ensure that those, that really good 40 page white paper gets as many readers. Yeah, that, that, that was, I, I think it's a terrific book, by the way. I mean, it, it's. It's so, it's so easy to use. It's so easy to implement. It, it, it's, you know, really like technology, first of all, technology is something that's completely underutilized by most advisors. Um, and so much of it now, I mean, we're not talking about technology of 2005. We're talking about technology of, of today, which is what you say, you know, web 2.0, web 3.0. It, it, it's, it's so user-friendly. It's so easy to, to implement. It's so easy. I mean, basically like most software applications today just require you to put your name and your company name and your password and then, and then fill in, you know, put your logo on and add, add some pictures and, you know, you're off to the races. It's that, you know, it's that easy. And yet people just don't believe it. <laughs> they can't believe it's that easy. So do you guys talk about platforms and technology there? I, I know you mentioned LinkedIn as the number one for advisors. Do you guys have a list of those social media networks and which ones work well with what? Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we talk about um, probably our top five favorites. It was written, the book was written and just sort of on the onset of Ricky, you know, the Reddit crowd taking over our financial markets. So we don't really go too deep into the, the Reddits and the TikToks, which have, we're doing a ton of work in those spaces now. I'm going to learn how to dance for those. So. Exactly. Well, it, it's very interesting because on the, on the digital side of our business, we are learning that TikTok and Reddit and some of these other platforms and the discussion groups like the Stock House and such and Stock Twits 
the, these these platforms are far the the retail investors are have way more power than they did when actually like started the blog, frankly, or at least we're discovering yeah. how much power they have uh, these days. So uh, for us, it was really again the LinkedIn, the more traditional LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and those types of of of, uh, of social media platforms where an advisor's clients probably going either just for their views, for their information, for their entertainment, those types of things, and, and to, to catch up on friends and family. Um, so so we want to we want the advisor to go where their clients are today. Uh, and but it's 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 a it's a dynamic uh, set of social media that, that the advisors have to work with and, and within. So you know early twenty twenty two we could be Andrew and I are already sort of working on our second book uh, that will probably be heavily focused on some of those social media platforms. And certainly there's a wider set now than there was when we started the book. Very interesting. Um, yeah, I think you can do a lot. Uh, you can go a long way by hiring interns, school interns to help you get the social media thing going, which we have taken, yeah. you know, uh, and done a generous use of with our, you know, children and, um, and friends of, um, of employees and the like. So I think it's, you the younger crowd can help you with that. You just have to give them the messaging. Uh, it's all becoming much, much easier. A- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like we talk about building your business, uh, the younger generation, that's where, that's where the assets are going to end up. Uh, so to keep the value of your business steady and growing you that that type of having them engage with you and have engaging with them is is super important i think most advisors know it now and we want to give them some strategies as well as working with the client spouse uh, and a lot of advisors have got used to just working with one member of the family their first point of contact person brought them in um you know, and there's a lot of work done in the industry on intergen- the intergenerational wealth transfer. Vajra um, and I are strong believers that the first person to inherit the money is the spouse. Frankly, yeah. it's not the kids. And that spouse can hold on to that at those assets for decades. So even even before you start engaging the kids, you should definitely start engaging uh, as an advisor, start Absolutely. your client's spouse. Well, what was the statistic? I think it was 56% of inheriting spouses change advisors within a year. Yes. I haven't had, when I was an advisor, I didn't have one single spouse stay with me because the, uh, we tend to attract technically oriented men with our content and they manage everything and every attempt to try to get to know their spouse was kind of blocked and I just let it go. But I, you know, if I had to do it over again. I would find ways of, of getting to the spouses for sure, because it's just all of a sudden they don't know and they don't know you, they, they know their best friend, they know somebody that they trust and eventually they just end up transitioning out. So it, it is crucial help from personal experience. Yeah. And it's just a massively missed opportunity. Uh, these individuals, um, they may have different needs. They generally will have different needs. They, they may be more educated than their spouse on, on finances, they may be less educated, um, but that you may have existing content that you could leverage um, for, for the spouse that can be, you know, you, you've already created it and it's, it could be very valuable to the spouse in helping bridge that gap, build that relationship, 
and, and educate the client. So there's, there's, so it's, it's, it's low hanging fruit to, to, to engage your client spouse, whether it's the male or female uh, member of, of that partnership, this person will appreciate the effort and will, if we could likely reduce that stat of 56% of the spouse. Yeah. They're, 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 and, you know, one of the, one of the reasons they might not be managing the money is because they're, whether or not it's a male or female, it's because they're more risk adverse. So a content tweak immediately is just to start writing more about risk management. That's a, that's actually a myth by the way. Right. I mean, I don't know if it's not that, I mean, I'm not saying that women aren't more or less risk adverse than men, but. That's actually one of the big myths. It's not that women will not take any risk with their money. It's that they'll take it differently. More conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. More content right there. I'd love to, I'd love to, yeah. I'd love to read that blog post there, Pierre. I'm, you got me. That's a good hook. I heard it in a podcast with, uh, it'll come back to me. I'll find it. I'll send it to you. But it was, it was a terrific point, which is that these myths, are, are, you know, they should be exploded because they, they really are what's keeping, you know, the business from moving forward on, on understanding this difference. And a lot of advisors, a lot of advisors, I, I think potentially face losing a very, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but they face losing a fairly large chunk of their business just from that turnover. And, and so, you know, I mean, they were talking about it on, on, uh, the compound, they were talking about, you know, the, the $70 trillion wealth transfer in the U S and then they were talking about the different, you know, classes of, of, of ultra high net worth, high net worth, you know, and, 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 you know, all this is going to shift. And then it got to the, it got to the subject of, of women and, you know, the women could outlive their, their, their spouses by 15 years. So, or longer. And, and, uh, you know, th that, that fact alone is, is, uh, and the fact that, that, you know, most inheriting spouses will change advisors. The majority will change advisors. Uh, that puts a lot of, I think that just puts a lot of advisors in a very high risk situation in terms of their business. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah, look, I'll leave everybody here with some, some advice. I'm a, a ESL student straight out of Lima, Peru, Andrew. So we can chat about that later. Yep. And I also worked at, uh, John Hancock, uh, right out, right out of my, uh, out of university. So I'm not a great writer. Um, but I have some in interesting ideas that I can put down on paper and have a great writer rewrite for me, which is what I continue to do to the day. I write a piece of content long or short, and I send it to my team to butcher it. And what you learn early on, you got to get over when working with Andrew and Richard, if you're putting the ideas on paper, you got to be okay with it being butchered, right? You got to be okay with that feedback and you got to, you can't get married to any ideas. Uh, it's amazing how powerful it is to get good guidance on what's working in your writing and what isn't, what messaging you want to focus on, what you don't. Um, and it requires a level of humility to get there. So get there fast and get, if you're not a good writer, then do a video or write your bullet points and have somebody else rewrite it for you. Absolutely worth it. Um, you know, don't stop doing what you're doing. Just add this to your repertoire is what I would say. Don't be shy. Just focus and be repetitive.
um, couldn't hire these guys. I feel like, I feel like this conversation could go on, you know, indefinitely because there's so much, so much, so many topics for sure. (laughs) But why don't we, uh, give me again, the the name of the book, um, where can people find the book and where can they find you guys? Uh, maybe Andrew, there it is. It's the Ascended Advisor. These tabs are where I found typos, the Ascended Advisor. Uh, and it's available on Amazon.ca or Amazon.com. Yep. And then, Excellent. And Kindle, Kindle edition. Go ahead, Andrew. Kindle edition. Okay. Yep. Audio, no. audio book. Yeah. Yep. Print, no audio yet. And, you know, it's also <laughs> available and it's on all the Amazon sites around the world. And then, but if you want to connect with Rich and I as well, go to our LinkedIn pages. Richard Hafton and Andrew Broadhead will be, you know, among the top lists, no matter where you are, we'll get the top of the list and then, uh, we have email, obviously, if you want to reach out and send us any questions that you might not want to do it via social, it's at rhef.ascendedadvisor.com or feedbroadhead at ascendedadvisor.com. And there's also an advisor at ascendedadvisor.com website if you want to check that out as well. So there's lots of ways to link that to us. And uh, please do. We're happy to answer any of your questions. We love talking to all of you. Fantastic. So, um, Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Richard. This would, oh, you, you have one more question. Thank you, guys. But before this, this is one more question. I know we're, we're at the limit here, but uh, one technical question left for you guys. Would you rather live for a week in the past or a week in the future? And why? I'll go with... Uh, that's a tough one. Rich can go first. Let me think about this. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I would always say the future because the past is, you know, has been written. The future is completely unknown. So I'm sort of more fascinated with what I don't know than with what I do. And there's a lot I don't know. So it would be interesting you know, with a caveat that I, I don't want to know whether I'd make it or not, because that'll just kind of depress me. So it would have to be sort of in a situation where I can't run into myself or find out any information on myself. That's a very important, very important. Yeah, I was thinking about, I'd want to go to the future too, and maybe see my great grandkids and then I, but I wouldn't want to go there and then they might, they think I'm an asshole or something like some sort of story got passed down through the family or something I did. So I'm going to go with the past. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Thank you guys. That was well, thank very, you. very, very Thank you, Richard. Thank great you. Thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you so much for inviting us on. This has been a pleasure. 